So I think for a lot of people on the political right, the refrain, you know, where's Hunter, has become uh, more more of, of a joke than anything else, but also a little bit of a rallying cry to the idea of, here is a shady cat. Hunter Biden is a shady cat. And it can't be denied by anybody who's rational. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, always a pleasure to be with you guys. But is he a criminal cat? Has he done things that are clearly illegal? And the answer is, well, yeah. Based on his his own admissions, this is the case. And now there's a question whether the Justice Department is going to engage any level of charges against him. Should they? I also agree the answer is yes. But what is the breakdown? How do you explain this out in a way that gives you the case that clearly, regardless of what the political left may want to decide about pushing away from Hunter Biden, ignoring Hunter Biden. Oh, you're just going after the president's son. It's not just the president's son. We're talking about a grown man here with a history and with stories. And those stories reflect very poorly upon the president. Jim Garrity joins us right now. You catch the morning jolt over at nationalreview.com. He is also the author of Between Two Scorpions, which you can find at amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. His latest, Will the Feds Charge Hunter Biden? Uh, Jim, an absolutely excellent breakdown, going back to some of your past writings from 2019, moving into today, of what it is that we're dealing with with Hunter Biden. But first, let's start with a level of what we can call illegality. What is it that federal prosecutors are looking at with Hunter Biden? And is there a feeling of whether whether or not they will move forward? Sure. This was spurred by a report from CNN that said that federal prosecutors who've been looking at uh, issues surrounding Hunter Biden for now, going on four years, may this is reaching some sort of, you know, uh, hinge point that, that they're close to making a decision. And the discussions have talked about bringing charges that could include alleged tax violations and making a false statement in connection with Biden's purchase of a firearm. Now, this is the one that for several years now, a whole bunch of us have kind of pointed to and said, well, this is, this is the most clear-cut slam-dunk case you could possibly imagine because Hunter Biden himself has confessed this particular crime. Uh, October 2018, uh, Hunter Biden goes to purchase a gun, and there are firearms transaction records that you fill out when you're purchasing a gun. And one of them is a question, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? Five years earlier, he'd been discharged from the Navy Reserve after testing positive for cocaine. But even beyond that, he had been very clear, you know, that he's been addicted to drugs for, for quite some time. Back in April 2021, he's talking, he's promoting his memoir, and he's talking about how much he struggled with addiction. And he says, going to, smoke, going to the bathroom and smoking crack every 15 minutes. I'm assuming that is hyperbolic, but, you know, the idea that he still had a serious addiction to crack. And in the interview, he said, I got clean close to two years ago. So let's say it's two years ago. That will be April 2019, which means when he filled out this, uh, this you know, form under penalty of perjury in 2018, he was still addicted to crack and still addicted to drugs. So that was a lie, right? That is a felony, you know? Now, are prosecutions for it common? No. In fact, they're pretty rare. But my colleague, Charlie Cook, had gone through and found all kinds of people who've been prosecuted for what seemed like, you know, rinky-dink issue violations of the Firearms Control Act or the National Firearms Act. 
um, using you know stocks and barrels shorter than 18 inches, 16 inches, stuff like that, um, and not you know registering with the government. And he points to people who are now been sentenced to you know 21 months in jail and saying, well, wait a second, this little rinky-dink guy who does not have a, issue, a history of addiction, who was not you know the government did not argue this person was a threat to anyone or anyone else. They're doing nearly two years in prison. Hunter Biden, we've got the thing right here. And oh, by the way, this particular gun was one that his sister-in-law took away from him, threw it into a trash can, apparently according to text messages that were found on that infamous laptop. You know, she was saying, I took it away from you because I don't trust you with it. I think it's not safe for you to have a gun. Now, she threw the gun in the trash can. You should not do that because that is, that's not how a red flag law is supposed to work, so to speak. They went back to get it. It was lost. Thankfully, a homeless uh, person who went through that trash in that area turned it into cops. But the whole thing, like, you know, you know, Hunter Biden is a troubled, troubled guy. And I think that, you know, it, from what the description is there, it sounds like the sister-in-law knew what she was doing. She did, you know, how she disposed of the gun was not wise. But, you know, she had good reason to think that Hunter Biden would either harm himself or harm somebody else. Now, first and, of all, and, think and about I agree how with you, you about this, if God forbid this sort of thing happened with Donald Trump Jr., I agree with you. Look, you know, what does it say that for four years the prosecutors have been kind of looking at this and hemming and hawing about whether this actually represents a crime and whether they want to press charges? Now, I agree with you on the idea that 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 Hunter Biden clearly was was. People were concerned about him. The drug use is, is real. Uh, while while the, the sister-in-law was was trying to do the right thing, yes, I agree. That isn't how red uh, flag laws work. But the gun conversation is he he lied on a form. You're right. It is cut and dry. But I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of cut and dry to the idea that don't tell us he wasn't talking to his father about business dealings. And it's very obvious that his father was a beneficiary of the business dealings something else you walk down maybe a little harder to prove but i think for a, a lot of people just off the cuff don't tell us that the, that hunter would would travel to wherever come back immediately yeah. have a, a meeting with his father and they didn't talk about his travels overseas that dog won't hunt yeah everything from burisma to i think really the one that probably jumps out at people the most these days are the chinese business partners the right one who gave him that multi-carat diamond that he later said that he lost um, you know, all kinds of things where you just like the intriguing thing is you can find people who were in the Obama administration who looked at this and said, this is deeply troubling. It's not good for the vice president's son to be associating with these people. All of them look like scam artists who want to uh, take advantage of the president's son, who want to take advantage of the Biden family name. Um, back when Hunter Biden decided to become a, a painter, I remember he started selling his paintings for extraordinarily large sums. Uh, Walter Schaub, who had been the head of the Office of Government Ethics in the Obama administration, he said, look, that's $6.5 million going to the president's son just for being the president's son, not for being an artist, and I just think that's absolutely appalling. These are Obama officials who are saying, no, this stinks to high heaven. This is clearly backdoor bribery. This is not something we should be standing for. And what's really intriguing is the New Yorker, back in the, you know, during the 2020 campaign, the New Yorker did a fantastic in-depth story of Hunter Biden, had an interview with him, went through all kinds of this stuff. And it sounds like there were a bunch of Obama officials who could see this, who could see Biden. Hunter Biden was an extraordinarily troubled individual. And it seemed like every sleazy, skeevy, probably criminal guy in the world was targeting him to, you know, purchase access to the vice president. 
And they try to bring this up to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden would just get really angry at him and just yell at him. And we saw that during the 2020 campaign, when Biden would just fly off the handle and start yelling at Savannah Guthrie. And you know, in a way, there was this really disturbing trend in which, you know, if you, if you say, you know, people were like, I don't think the Obama officials who were bringing this up to Biden, I don't think they hated Hunter Biden. I don't think they were being unfair. I think they were deeply concerned about Hunter Biden, also concerned about Joe Biden and his reputation, all concerned about, about the Obama administration and its reputation. But Hunter, but Joe Biden would just kind of get really angry and say, how dare you say that about my son? And he was just being this, trans, this clear, it strikes me as a clear case of denial. And when I wrapped up the uh, morning jolt yesterday, Tony, I was trying to lay out, like, particularly when it comes to addiction, but I think there's all kinds of, of you know, issues this relates to. If someone you love is making bad decisions, you kind of need to let them suffer the consequences of those decisions. If you're constantly rushing in to save him, and it certainly seems like that's what being a Biden has done to Hunter Biden. Because anybody else, you know, you're that reckless with the gun, they're going to press charges. Anybody else, that many issues with uh, cocaine, you're going to press charges. You know, Hunter Biden's never ends up in jail. Nobody's ever pressed charges. That, you know, that glares, that's a glaring sign that he's been protected by his family name for a really long time. And in the end, because he never suffered those consequences, it certainly sounds like he's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Whereas earlier, if he'd suffered some of those bad consequences, maybe it would have you know, altered the direction of his life. So it's really a very tragic tale in all of this. But there's also this glaring case of, look, there is this extraordinary case. It certainly looks like corruption. It certainly looks like uh, people who are trying to use Hunter Biden as a way of influencing federal policy. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of averts their eyes because it's embarrassing to the Biden family. Talking to Jim Garrity of National Review, nationalreview.com. The question now is, where does this go from here? You know, your, your, your argument about, I shouldn't say argument, lack of a better word, argument, about addiction and and having a, a some feel for for hunter biden it, it that can happen simultaneously with oh by the way he committed a crime and he has to deal with 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 the results of that biden's argument and we've talked about this before biden's response being uh the, this snapping we see this from biden all the time and and it's it's nice to actually see people starting to remove this idea of oh he's just grandfatherly oh it's just uncle joe no he's a nasty rude cat and has a long history of being a nasty rude cat certainly of uh, being uh an, an elitist being a snob talking down to people we can go back to the to the confirmation hearing of of, of justice thomas and 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 others uh but does does any of that now change the what comes next is there a belief that the justice department will move forward with any of this is merrick garland the guy as attorney general who is willing to go down this road well you like to think that uh, merrick garland would say I'm going to recuse. I'm not going to weigh in. I'm certainly not going to weigh in to argue against char pressing charges against the president's son because that would look like uh, political bias interfering with the justice system. And you know, both Merrick Garland and Joe Biden like to pat themselves on the back about how they don't do that sort of thing. Um, this technically would be a decision up to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. Uh, I believe it's David Weiss is his name. And you, you know, look as, as I laid out. You know, certainly on the gun issue, this looks like a uh, slam dunk. And certainly uh, there are all kinds of issues about whether he reported, like, you know, when somebody gives you a multi-carat diamond, a foreign Chinese businessman, you know, you do have to pay taxes on the value of, the, of a gift of that sum. And did Hunter Biden do that sort of thing? Like some of these things seem like, you know, either he did or he didn't. 
And if he didn't, that seems like a you know, clear violation of campaign finance, tax, and foreign lo- lobbying laws. You know, in a way, when they, the story is saying prosecutors have narrowed their focus to, gun, to the gun-related charge and tax charges, those actually seem like the least politically charged out of all the accusations and, and problems there. Um, but then, you know, and then the other thing is that right before an election, or every, every U.S. attorney general you know, puts out this kind of standard memo that is, don't go after someone, or, or be very careful if you're going to go press charges against a political figure shortly before the election. This actually predates Comey and the Hillary Clinton stuff. Pretty much every attorney general every you know, two to four years issues this memo to U.S. attorneys, basically saying, and the subtext is don't create political headaches for us unless you absolutely have you know, a, a rock-solid, indisputable case. case, and it just happened to be ready to go ahead at that time. You can make an argument that an indictment of Hunter Biden would really hurt, hurt Democrats in the midterms. I think they're already about as hurt as they, they possibly can get. I don't think it actually would make that much, but it would be one more embarrassing headline for the Democrats. Oh, and if, you know, Republicans have said that if they take control of the House and, and Senate or both, they're going to hold all kinds of hearings on this sort of stuff. I, have a, I do kind of wonder if Biden announces I'm not running for another term, does the appetite for an investigation into this start to wane a little bit? Um, you know, Republicans will be focusing on Kamala Harris or whoever the next Democratic nominee is going to be. Um, but, you know, but by and large, it's very if they if they press charges right after the election, they could say, well, we didn't want to do it during the election. Look like we were trying to, you know, influence the outcome of the election. But it's very hard to imagine a scenario that the Justice Department could spend the better part of four years looking at all this in which Hunter Biden had literally confessed to, you know, uh, lying on that form and just shrugging and saying, eh, there's just not enough of a strong enough case here. I think it's funny that you think that Kamala Harris is going to be the nominee. I, I, I'll i find that the hilarious part of that. Before I let you go, uh, Jim Garrity, uh, I, I did it yesterday. I watched two full hours of the January 6th hearing. Two full hours of my life I cannot get back. And I made the argument this morning on my, on my morning show that this is, this is stuff we knew that Trump did not act knowing the Capitol was, was under attack, and that is the, the, the way to describe it. There was a riot at the Capitol. Uh, he did not react when he knew that uh, they felt that Vice President Mike Pence was in danger, which I think was a very rational thing for them uh, to think. And it looks really bad for Donald Trump, but that's been the story since it happened. We knew that soon thereafter, that people like Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram from Fox, uh, Brian Kilmeade and others were, were texting Mark Meadows, the then chief of staff, saying, do something about this. Was there anything about last night's hearing that's going to somehow move America? And does any of this bring us any closer to the Democrats' dream of, well, what is their dream at this point? Yeah. So I, I agree with a lot of your assessment of the January 6th uh, committee, Tony, that a lot of this time I felt like, you know, like the little details, Trump throwing a plate of spaghetti on the wall. Like, OK, we didn't know that stuff, but I don't think it really dramatically alters our understanding of the events surrounding January 6th. Like we we watched a lot of it happen. Last night was going to be about what the president was doing during that time period. And he was away from the camera. And so we're like, OK, we'll get some more details about that. And I thought the one part that did I did find intriguing and wrote about in today's Morning Jolt was the video of the outtakes of the speech he delivered January 7th. And the fact that he did kept saying, I don't want to say the election is over. I think that's pretty interesting. I think that's a little bit of a, you know, it, it confirms what we all kind of strongly suspected. But like literally, even after the January 6th riot, 
Trump couldn't say the election was over. Now, he didn't say, you know, my, you know, my fight is over or my effort in American politics. He meant the 2020 election after Congress had certified the votes in his mind still wasn't over. Right? That, that's a man who's like lost touch with reality. So that was kind of interesting. I do think, though, my, a couple a long while ago, I reached the point of like, OK, we've seen all this stuff, a lot of this stuff. We, we, we know the gist. We know the overall thing. Merrick Garland, either indict him or don't. You know, what, what, you know, you do, you know what, or get off the pot. This is, you know, it's been a year and a half now. We all kind of know the gist of it. We know the argument, because I have a very tough time believing that Donald Trump, you know, the, the way the Democrats characterized it, led an insurrection against his own government, attacked American democracy, assaulted the legislative branch and violated the Constitution. But he didn't break any laws while he did it, right? I mean, this is very tough to believe you could do all that and not violate a U.S. law. So my attitude is indict him or don't indict him, right? But one, or, one way or the other, I feel like we've been going around in circles with this for quite some time. That having been said, I think so, – I don't know, but I can't speak for the Democrats on the commission. I think that Liz Cheney, for example, like she knows she's losing her primary. She, she doesn't care about that. That's she's obvious. Basic. She doesn't care about that. Jim, I'm up against it. We're going to talk more in the future. Jim Garrity, NationalReview.com. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Snap shares are down. 35% poor earnings report. Not sure how it's going to affect Meta, which is Facebook, Alphabet, which is Google. I don't know why they change these names. But I got to assume that's TikTok biting into what Snap and Snapchat's doing. But there's got to be room for yet another, right? Because there eventually will be another social media platform. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's a pushback on abortion legislation in Indiana. You knew this was coming. I don't think any rational person is surprised by it. But do we do we understand what it is that's happening? And, and I argue that the answer to that is no. That the pushback on this comes from a place of, wait for it, privilege. Not extended to people who favor the idea of serious restrictions on abortion because abortion should not be recreational as the Indiana Democratic Party sees it. The people who favor that would get attacked on the streets. Their businesses would be attacked, possibly destroyed, and they are fearful of it. They don't get the luxury of signing letters from the ACLU. They don't. They don't get the luxury of being able to do that. They don't get the luxury of being able to stand up and 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 pretend to be, uh, what's, what's the word I, I, I'm looking for? Not pretend. Uh, they, they, they get to be all woke and, and uh, we're all about we're all about the justice here. Is, is, is that the case? Is that what you're about? You're about goodness and decency. Let's break this down just a little bit because it's worthy of our time. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Always a pleasure to be with you. There is nothing wrong with people disagreeing about 
what we should be doing vis-a-vis abortion in the state of Indiana. That is rational to me. Not everybody is going to agree. People are going to have points of view. The Republican Party put forth, here you go, exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Those are the exceptions to abortion. We're done here. Those are the exceptions. Thank you very much. Some people have said, huh, I was one of those people. Only because I kind of expected the whole first trimester, 15 weeks thing to take place, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, whatever you want to call that. I expected that. I, I, I will admit that did not come in the legislation. There might be other ways the legislation is looked at once it gets into the session starting on the 25th, this special session. But okay, they didn't do it. Interesting, I thought, for the Republican Party. Considering that the Republican Party doesn't take strong stands. Governor Holcomb does not take strong stands. It's not who he is. So they put this out there. The Democratic Party responds exactly as the Democratic Party would respond. They want abortion up until the moment of birth, in the middle of birth, and they want it to be free. And if you did that and made it free on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, as I said, they would be the people who would say, why not on Thursday? That's who they are. They favor, based on their statements, recreational abortion. Abortion as birth control, abortion as no big deal. I think we should argue, I think we should act in the state of Indiana like abortion is a big deal. I think we should act like it might have, it might be an actual need in specific rare cases, but it shouldn't be thought of as something as just whatevs. We shouldn't be that society. The Democratic Party doesn't say that. Neither does this letter that comes from a, a, a series of business owners. It's a letter from the ACLU, don't ban equity. Well, good Lord, if we're having the equity conversation, can I tell you, can I say it again for the people in the cheap seats? Those buying into DEI will be out of that whole thing in five years. Wait till you see how destructive this all is. You've already seen it, but you won't admit to it. You're so busy trying to prove to other businesses how good and decent and woke you are. Look at me, I'm special. Look at us, we're all full of equity. What are you talking about equity? What are you talking about? Diversity. You weren't diverse before? What kind of bigoted scumbag are you? Diversity or forced diversity? Do you have to have the representation of this person, that person, that person? Or can you just be somebody who's aware of what's going on in the world? Or are you only diverse if you show it on your corporate board or in this or in that or on some kind of paperwork, which is exactly what ESG is about, you know, environment, social governance? ESG is about, hmm, do you have the right mix of people? Well, you can't get that loan. You can't do business with us unless you are proper. Yeah, you have to play pretend. You have to play make-believe. I have met unbelievably successful black business owners and white business owners, and I have met crappy white business owners. I have met bad black business owners. There are two sides to the bell curve. 
well, you have to have this and you have to have that. There's a whole conversation in South Africa. We're going to take the land uh, uh, because of apartheid from those white people who stole it, and we're going to take those farms and we're going to give them to black people. That's great. What made you think they were farmers? I'm not saying black people can't farm. I am saying that if somebody handed me a farm and said, here you go, we'd have dead tomatoes. I can grow some tomatoes in my backyard. I have tomatoes and I have cucumbers. I've got some peppers. We have onions. I have no idea if the onions are going to grow, but we tried it anyway. It's a small garden. If I take two steps in either direction, the garden's over. You're going to give me 80 acres? Dead tomatoes. Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Michael Bloomberg, for all of his money, has no idea what he's doing. That guy thinks he can actually grow corn. You can't just hand somebody to somebody and say, well, because of your skin color, because of your religion, because of your sexual identity, clearly this belongs to you. No, you need farmers. And it isn't DEI to say, here you go. It would be madness. It would be ignorance. It would be the destruction of that farm. You can't just say, well, this person's got to be on your corporate board if they have nothing to offer you. What if they have a skill set, but you hate their guts? Does that, is that allowed to come into play? Well, maybe as a business owner, you don't care if you hate them as long as they can help you grow the business. But maybe you do want to make sure you have solid interpersonal relationships because that adds to the culture of a business. And you just can't stand that Asian woman, that Jewish guy. You have to hire them anyway? DEI on, on the school level is about uh, in, in placing this massive investment into telling some kids they're oppressors and some kids they're oppressed. Stop telling us it doesn't. We see you. We see you every single day. DEI is about, about uh, telling people how good and decent you are, not being good and decent. You're not good and decent. Don't ban equity. Abortion is equity. It's time for companies to stand up for reproductive health care. Abortion is not reproductive health care, ACLU. Abortion is the opposite of reproduction. It's the opposite. Equality, they write, in the workplace is one of the most important business issues of our time. When everyone is empowered to succeed, our companies, our communities, and our economy are better for it. I don't know what you, you mean, equality in the workplace. Are you saying that somehow there hasn't been equality in the workplace? Is this your argument? And how many lawsuits have you engaged on specifics? And how can there be equality in the workplace when only one sex gets pregnant? First of all, thank you for recognizing that it's women who get pregnant. Appreciate that uh, very, very much. Well, you see, this is where they try to make the argument. You see, it's only women. Uh, Not allowing abortion is, is telling women that they have to do this. It's you're controlling women's bodies. No. I can't do anything about the science. The science is that women are the ones who get pregnant. Not men, men never get pregnant. Women are the ones who have the ability to get pregnant. But what we're talking about is the life inside uh, that woman. Why are you denying science? It's an easy pushback to which the ACLU, I'm assuming, I am assuming, I'm not saying that I'm right, again, assumption only, I make the assumption that the ACLU, when presented with that commentary, says something alike, something kind of alike. I should say kind of akin to, or kind of like, not kind of a like.
just facts. The ACLU writes, restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health, independence, and economic stability of our employees and customers. You mean you want them to have abortion so they can get back to work real quick? I'm only asking. I want to understand you. Simply put, it goes against our values and it's bad for business. It impairs our ability to build diverse and inclusive workforce pipelines. Stop it. That's just terminal. That, that is jibber jabber, not real life. Recruit top talent across the states to protect the well being of all the people who keep our businesses thriving day in and day out. Are you telling me that the only top talent are the people who want recreational abortion? Do you have any pro lifers in your top talent? Curious. Bans on equality put our families, communities, businesses, and the economy at risk. We, the undersigned, employ Hoosiers across the state of Indiana and stand against policy that hinders people's health, independence, and ability to fully succeed in the workplace. Again, you sound like people who want abortion so these uh, women don't miss much work and they get back to work. And there's this 200 signatures. And there's some businesses in there where, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to see it, but hey, you, you, you want to let your voice be heard? F- feel free. Feel free. Uh, Patichu. Is, is on that list. Who doesn't like Cafe Patitude? I think they've done an absolutely fantastic job. Milktooth is on uh, that, that list. MS Communications is on that list. MS Communications currently owns WIBC. As a matter of fact, when they had a press conference about this yesterday, it happened in the lobby of MS Communications. I work right now at MS Communications, and soon uh, the, the, the stations are being sold, and that will be uh, under the uh, arm of, of Urban One Radio. How do I feel about MS Communications engaging in this? Well, I, I can state a couple things. I believe in the Citizens United case. A company has a right to, to, to speak out. Uh, should they is a different question whether or not they have the right to. I can also state that as a host on on this station and, and with this company for, for eight years, I have never once gotten a note, never once received a note saying I can or cannot say X, Y, or Z. Never. And uh, the, the CEO of, of MS, Jeff Smolian, and I disagree about a great number of things. But our work relationship uh, seems to be, uh, I, I bring the ratings and, and the sponsorship and the audience, and uh, uh, he, he leaves me alone. And honestly, that's pretty solid. Like, that's as good as you could do in today's America. Of course, I disagree with the signing of this letter. But there is something else that needs to be noted. You take a look at all these companies here and ACLU, they had the ability to sign such a letter. You find me the 200 businesses and they're out there who absolutely agree that abortion should be extremely rare in the state of Indiana and it should not be used uh, for recreational purposes as it is, it looks like the Indiana Democratic Party wants it to be. You put that list out there, you watch those businesses get attacked. We've seen it. Those businesses would get violently attacked. There were businesses that were told that if you don't post a letter supporting Black Lives Matter during the riots, well, you're going to feel it. They were told this point blank. They were threatened. You're not supportive enough. You need to do this. You need to do that. 
Look at the privilege these companies have because they know nobody's going to attack them. And by the way, no one should. No one should attack a company that would be in favor of not having recreational abortion. No one should. But that's exactly what would happen. And they can't sign that letter for fear of being attacked. Just like they couldn't say things like, we're not here for the Black Lives Matter organization. We're just going to serve the customer in front of us. Not good enough. That's what they were told. That's what they tried to tell me. Why don't you support Black Lives Matter? Because the organization is run by Marxists and the whole thing's a grift. I can't support the organization. Why do you have to say it like that? Just say you support Black Lives Matter. I'm not going to be a part of that insanity. No, words have meaning. I can't be a, I'm not supporting that organization. What are you, Fakakta crazy? Not a chance. Well, you know what that means, Tony. No, no, no. That's what you say it means. But you're nuts and are supporting Marxists. I don't give a good holy hot damn what you think. I have the luxury of the microphone. It's a little bit easier. I recognize that. I wonder if these 200 businesses recognize how easy it was for them in the ACLU. Because no one's coming after them. But if others were to sign a letter saying, I think that these are the proper restrictions and proper exceptions, they fear they'd be attacked. That's pretty disgusting. And something that the ACLU should take into consideration. I don't, I, I stand firm on my disgust with DEI. The bigotry that it teaches, the hate that it inculcates, and that it exists on a state level and exists in the corporate world. You know what? They'll learn. They'll learn. I see somebody on LinkedIn who, who posts their, their pronouns, and I'm like, that's somebody I don't want to hire. Which, you know, goes against where a lot of people are. Those are the only people they hire. The only people they hire. We should have... We, and we should, we should have the conversations. We should hear from people who believe in all different kinds of things on this abortion conversation. It's a big one for Indiana. Indiana has to come to some level of conclusion and then move forward. But it should be understood by these 200 companies. You don't represent the totality of, of Indiana. That's, that's number one. And number two, you have the ability to speak. If other people signed a letter in the opposite, they'd be attacked. You should recognize that. You should recognize that's not that equal of a playing field. That's wrong. Will the pressure campaign work? Hell if I know. I'm still surprised that the Republicans went this direction. Maybe some slight changes are in our future. We'll find out soon enough. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Did you see the truck that went through uh, FMS? Producer Ari, did you see the truck? I don't even know what you're talking about. So, happened yesterday. I didn't know this. Our, our program director, David Wood, sent it to me. Did, did I see this? Um, WFMS and, and, and ZPL, uh, right? Uh, so, country station uh, and a music station. I, I In the mornings, uh, it's smiley. We, we go up against each other uh, every, every single morning. Super nice guy. Well, a truck goes off the road and drove straight through their studios. It's nuts. I have the photos. Drove directly through the FMS studios. They're, do, thankful 
they weren't, uh, anybody was live on the air at the time. Somebody would have been killed because this truck literally went to the back wall. I mean, right through the glass that, you know, their main floor, you know, what you would call like a fishbowl studio where people could see in. Whoo! Oh, the damage is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's clear it all out and, and rebuild a whole new studio. You're not going to save a piece of equipment. Man, is the, the driver is alive? The driver's condition was not reported as I have uh, the, the, the story. But man, glad everybody is safe over there. Holy cow. That's nuts. I mean, that's just one of those stories that, you know, you I guess you play it as if this, if this, but yeah. A couple hours earlier, that could have been a really, really horrific story. Now it's just a lot of damage. Glad nobody was hurt, really and truly. More to get to. This is Tony Katz today.